The message title today is called, Where Faith is Forged. So what you're going to get is you're going to see a part of me now that you know I have two different careers. Um, my heart is right here in the church. It always has been. But where my source has been in life, where God's called me to the mission field, is in the public schools as a public school teacher. So this year I'm entering my 30th and final year of teaching. Praise God. <laughs> Looking forward to retiring in June. Um, and so you're going to see a little bit of the teaching side of me. I know you've seen that as well, but um, I'm going to kind of share, combine those two things today in today's message. Without gasoline, the fastest sports car stands motionless. Without electricity, the brightest spotlight remains dark. And without faith, the most experienced Christian is inept and powerless. Hebrews 11.6 tells us this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Do you know what that means? It's easy to seek God when things are going great, or when the whole crowd is doing it. But what happens when you're under attack? What happens when things don't go right? What happens when that abundant life seems so far off? Are you still seeking God then? Are you still pushing through to get close to God? Because that is what pleases God when we diligently seek Him. We need faith to move forward in life. Faith propels us to God. It generates the power to believe that God is in control even when all of our other senses tell us otherwise. Faith brings us close to God where we enjoy the bounty of His blessings. Without faith, we stall, we sputter out, we break down. Without faith, it is impossible to come to God to receive anything from Him at all. Without faith, we are bankrupt. It is Satan's greatest desire to bankrupt us of our faith, of our hope, of our future, and of our belief in God. Understanding that our greatest weapon is our faith, the devil has a special weapon of his own. It's called fear. He knows that if he can get us to spend more time in our fear than in our faith, our own minds will start to reproduce fear on its own. Fear will multiply and cloud every thought that we have. Fear poisons the mind and the body and our spirit. It squeezes out our faith and renders us useless keeping us separated from God. Fear is the greatest weapon of the enemy and he uses it all the time. Fear works in doubt and worry and anger and pain and apathy, insecurity, and in any idle mind in life. Fear can cause the greatest move of God to second-guess itself, to hesitate, to doubt its direction, and lose all its momentum. Fear causes us to look at our current situation instead of looking at our God. If you look at some of the great moves of God, some of the great miracles of God, if people relied on their own sentence and their own logic, they never would have had the opportunity to walk in God's blessings. If we could figure it all out, we wouldn't need God. That's why it takes faith to follow God and to believe by faith that God's going to meet us as we go forward. 
fear changes our focus. Right now in the world, the enemy is working overtime to incite fear in the masses through terrorism, through extremist groups, through persecution. I was just talking with a brother that I've been mentoring online for about last year. He's in Nigeria and he just said Christians are being slaughtered by their own government daily. The enemy is working through persecution all over the world. He's working through wars. He's working through diseases, through famines, and threats unknown from all parts of the Middle East and Asia. We have Christian brothers and sisters being killed in Africa right now as we speak. Being killed in Afghanistan, India, Pakistan, and throughout the world. These places and these people desperately need our prayers. Terrorist groups are rising up in Iran and Syria. But this is not the first time that the enemy has worked through terrorism in the Middle East to bring fear to the people of God. The Old Testament describes a time when Israel had the high ground and had just defeated the Syrian army. As the Syrian leaders gathered together to devise how they would respond, the enemy put a certain thought into their minds. I'm going to take it from 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 23. It says, Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. You see, the enemy not only worked through the servants of the king of Syria, he uses the same line on us today. Maybe you've heard it. It sounds something like this. Your God may be strong when things are going well for you, but as soon as you enter a long, drawn-out valley in your life, as soon as you start to struggle, as soon as your mistakes and your strongholds refuse to release its grip on you, then you are in trouble. Then your God will be powerless. Then your God will be nowhere in sight. That's what the enemy tries to get us all the time. It was this thought that puffed up the pride of the king of Syria, thinking that the God of the Israelites may be God of the hills when things are going well, but he had no power on the plains or in the valleys. Getting the king's attention, his servants continued. 1 Kings 20, verse 24. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. Verse 25, And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. See, the enemy wants us to believe that our God is only God of the hills, our only God of the good times when we obviously can see that we are being blessed. Or He's only powerful but when we are in seasons of plenty in our lives. Therefore, the enemy is always trying to drive us into the valleys of doubt and into the valleys of confusion and the valleys of fear. Yet in God's infinite wisdom, He actually leads us into the valleys so that He can reveal His greatest revelations there. You see, when we're on the mountaintops, we're too busy looking around sometimes at what we did or how great the blessings are, and we don't always hear the voice of God. 
but it's in the valleys of our life where we need God that we look for Him. To examine an analogy a little closer to home, we look to a turning point in our country's history that happened not on a battlefield, but rather in a valley. A valley that was overtaken by the winds of December, blowing in a winter season that would test all men to the very core. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? June 15, 1775, colonial leaders gave command to George Washington to lead the Continental Army. The army was made up of farmers, shopkeepers, laborers. Many had no real military training. The colonial army won some early battles, but by the fall of 1777, the British were advancing on Philadelphia, which was the new American capital. Washington's army met them at Brandywine Creek nearby. After the British made a surprise attack from the side, as well as countering them from the front, Washington had no choice but to retreat. The British went on to capture Philadelphia while Washington's troops retreated across the Pennsylvania countryside. The army's lack of supplies was obvious on its long march. Shoeless soldiers, feet wrapped in rags, tracked bloody footprints in the snow. 12,000 weary and cold continentals trudged into Valley Forge to prepare for winter's fury on December 19, 1777. Wanting to find a winter camp close enough to Philadelphia to monitor the British, but far enough away to prevent their attack, Washington chose to make camp 25 miles outside of Philadelphia in the area named for an iron forge on Valley Creek. When they first arrived, they threw up some quick tents and made basic fires before collapsing in the snow. They would now face nature's full fury in the middle of the wilderness. The first properly constructed hut appeared in three days, but it took nearly six weeks to harvest enough lumber from the nearby forest to make the thousands of huts needed to provide shelter for the ragtag army. But everything else, including food, clothing, shoes, and medicines, were left wanting. General Washington himself refused to go stay in a nearby stone house until every single one of his men had wooden huts. He wrote to Congress to ask for help for his starving, cold, and sick troops, but no sustenance arrived for quite some time. Though the huts were all eventually built, poor ventilation provided no escape for the smoke from their fires inside, and many grew ill from the conditions. Due to the cold and a lack of food, soldiers had no strength to fight off diseases. Men with smallpox and typhus and pneumonia and dysentery quickly filled the infirmary. Over 2,000 men died at Valley Forge without a shot being fired. In fact, more Americans died that winter than at the battles of Brandywine and Germantown combined. Without designated waste areas, the camp became filthy. Some soldiers couldn't take the conditions and the homesickness. Hundreds ran away and deserted as the army dwindled in size and morale. Food in the camp was often scarce. 
Soldiers hoped for meat and bread, but often they had to make do with tasteless cakes called fire cakes made out of flour and water. Army supply officers tried to gather food from local, local farmers, but soon found out that the British had paid more money to these same farmers to supply their troops. It now had seemed that some of their own countrymen had betrayed them. The British, who were camping in warm quarters in Philadelphia and being well-fed, were content to wait out the long, blistery cold winter and let the colonial troops die of cold, starvation, and disease. It seemed like the perfect plan, which would soon lead to the end of the war. The enemy just waiting on the outskirts for the Continentals to give up or to die. This is how our country started. Have you ever felt like this? You've been cornered. Your back is not merely against the wall, it's against despair. It's against hopelessness. It's against the taunting calls of death which are nearby. Our trials can come in many different forms, but unending difficulties where things go from bad to worse where no end seems to be in sight, turn into seasons that just seem to get darker and darker with each day. We look around our country right now. We look at what's happening on the world scene. And we see fear and despair and confusion trying to take up more ground each and every day. However, it's when we are in these valleys of life that the enemy mocks us and our God. It's much easier to give in to fear because it's all around us. It's much easier to give up and to lose hope and to throw in the towel and to just walk away, deserting our family and our friends and our God. It's much easier to reason in our own mind and conclude that things will never get any better. They will never improve. But if we trust God through the valleys, He always shows up. His love endures forever. He always shows up in one form of assistance or another. Often it's not until everything has been stripped away to the point that prayer is the only currency we have to get to the next day, the next hour, or the next minute. And while this seems to be a terribly lonely place, it is exactly the place where God meets us if we do not lose hope and if we keep looking for Him. Our memory verse today is in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. It says, I will lift my eyes to the hills. It's a choice you have to make. I will lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's a choice we all must make, choosing to look up for the Lord when everything else is raging upon us and pulling us down. We have to choose to look up and believe that God is on His way. It is by faith that we look up and look for Him. Take the time. Make the effort to memorize this verse. When this is ingrained in your heart and in your mind, you will speak it over your life every day. Reminding your flesh not to give in to temptation. Reminding your spirit not to lose hope. Reminding you that the Lord will sustain you. He will settle you and He will give you strength. When the winds of doubt 
and worry and despair and fear refuse to let up, stand on this verse and look to the hills. If you have to keep stating this verse again and again until your spirit catches the revelation of it from God, then do it. When you are in the valley, don't just wait for the next shoe to drop. Don't just wait for the next bad thing to come down the pipe. Look to the hills and wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Not in your strength, but in His. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The promise we have is that if we wait on the Lord, He will indeed give us strength. For the men in Valley Forge who survived the brutal winter, help did indeed come to them from afar. In February, Baron von Steuben, a Prussian officer, arrived to help train what was left of the troops. Washington had stated that it wasn't enough to just survive the winter. They had to go into the spring a stronger and a smarter army. You see, God's intention of leading you into the valley is not to just have you survive it, but to make you stronger and wiser, to build your faith for whatever may lay ahead. At first, von Steuben had trouble training the colonial troops. He was used to troops who obeyed his very command. He quickly learned that American soldiers were different. It wasn't enough for him to tell the troops to do something. He also had to explain to them why they should do it. But once they understood why they, the things that they were taught, it became ingrained in them. They grew together as a trained unit. Under von Steuben's system, one unit learned to drill. That unit taught all the other units. And each unit took ownership of its responsibility for raising the whole army as if it were one body. Does it sound familiar? It's the same way with the body of Christ. People who are persuaded into following one movement just because they're told to do it do not have any staying power when the going gets tough. Knowing and understanding this, God fills us with the Holy Spirit who becomes our own personal tutor to open up the Word of God to each of us if we are willing, to enlighten us with truth, to make real applications to our current situations in life. He also brings teachers of the Word into our lives to further teach us the principles of God on which we stand. The more we understand, the more we take ownership, and the more we realize the responsibility to pass on this understanding and encouragement to the rest of the body. That's why we promote our Bible studies. Don't say, I don't want to join the Bible study because I don't know the Bible. That's why you should be joining the Bible study. Or don't say, I don't want to join it because I've already been to many Bible studies. We, we need your gift. We have men's Bible studies, the women's Bible studies. We're going to have some new courses being taught uh, this fall. But we need to continue to understand the Word of God and apply it to our lives so that we can function as the body of Christ. An effective body of believers grows strong by studying together, by praying together, by bearing one another's burdens, by refusing to give up on our brothers and sisters, and by choosing to continually speak life over others. As the colonial army looked to the hills, help continued to come from a variety 
of different places. In March, more supplies began to arrive as Nathaniel Green took over as quartermaster, whose job was to gather food and supplies and clothing for the army. The soldiers' skills and their morale began to improve greatly. News quickly spread that the French had agreed to help the colonial army fight against the British. As others came to their side to stand with them and fight with them, it emboldened the spirits of the men. This newly strengthened colonial army left late, left Valley Forge late in June of 1778 to attack the British who had moved into Monmouth, New Jersey. The British had destroyed everything in the colonial's path, not wanting them to find anything useful. They burned down all the trees. They clogged up the, the water. They didn't want to give them anything at all, any advantage. But this did not deter the determined band of Americans. It brazened their resolve. For they had learned how to survive and eventually thrive in any condition. For this is what the valley teaches us, as it did Paul. In fact, let me give you this power verse that most of you know, but let me give it in context. One of the most quoted pieces of Scripture was born out of Paul's own valley experiences. I believe the colonial army believed the same thing after leaving Valley Forge. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to be abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, the secret to climbing that next mountain in life is that you always take a piece of the valley with you. You don't forget where you've been. You remember how you were humbled, how everything was stripped away, and how you prayed and you looked to the hills where God is and always will be faithful. The British were ready for the colonials in Monmouth and at first brought fear to the men whose first instinct was to retreat. But Washington would not allow his generals to order a retreat. He believed in his men. They were different now. They had taken a piece of Valley Forge with them as they faced this new battle. They had a steel resolve. They had learned to persevere. He rallied his men to believe in themselves, in their training, and in their purpose to fight for freedom. He challenged them to remember what they had learned in the valley when they didn't give up, when they didn't desert. And as that revelation became alive in their spirits, they gave it all that day. At the end of that long, hard day of fighting, the British, this time, were the first to retreat. On the surface, the Battle of Monmouth was not a memorable ba battle in the way of casualties recorded or supplies acquired. But it was a major turning point in the war. For what was acquired here was measured on the inside. The intestinal fortitude. The belief in their cause. A positive momentum. And the faith to continue. Three years later, a large British force 
surrendered in Yorktown to General Washington and the Colonial Army. Later, as General Washington and his men looked back to Valley Forge, they realized how valuable that time actually was. The Continentals were not ready and tested when they entered the valley. They had only experienced defeat as an exclamation point, not as a comma, not as part of the process of building an army. They needed Valley Forge. They needed their backs against the wall. In the open field, with nothing against their backs, they could retreat. But with their backs suddenly against the very real possibility of starvation and sickness and freezing to death, it was this reality that pushed them to victory. It was the Valley Forge experience that brought them together, that steeled their spine, that turned them into a force to be reckoned with. I will tell you that we all need these Valley Forge experiences to quicken our resolve, to push us onward, and to begin to build real momentum. Not all experiences, however, are forced upon us. Some we choose on our own. Did you know that mountain climbers put themselves into Valley Forge experiences when they climb into a place where they can't climb down and the only way to proceed is to continue to climb up? If you find yourself stuck, not moving, or even slipping back, you need a Valley Forge experience. Either you take the rock climber example when you climb into it, or you allow God to take you there and He will be with you every step of the way. In God's infinite wisdom, He designs Valley Forge experiences for us all to enter and to begin to walk in mountain-moving faith that propels us through life and through all of its challenges. And when times are at their toughest, we learn that God we learn to trust God through the valleys of life. It is in these valleys where wills are tested, where character is built, where perseverance is stretched, and where true faith is forged. Where is faith forged? It's forged in the valleys where God is with us. Where we look to the hills and we cry out to God. And we don't see any sense in our mind of how it can continue or how, what the next step to take, but we believe that our God will show us the next step. We put our faith in God and He leads us. This is exactly what happened to the Israelites long ago when the king of Syria challenged them to a fight in the valley. Remember he said, oh yeah, you're the God of God of the hills, but we'll take you down to the valley. Let's pick the story up back where we left off. 1 Kings 20, verse 26. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. Verse 27. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the whole countryside. When you let fear enter your mind and rule your thoughts, you begin to think that you are small and alone and cut off from others and from God. At the same time, you begin to think that the enemy is everywhere. This is what the enemy wants you to think, that you're cornered, that you're surrounded, that you need to give up. 
don't dwell on it. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? That's what our Bible says. It's at this point where we need to close the door on fear and open the door to God to allow Him to speak truth to us. A revelation from Him gives us the perspective that we need to stand on His truth and stand up against the enemy to defeat Him by the power of God. Verse 28, Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills, but He is not God of the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. God is always faithful. He knows that threats are coming to His children. He knows the mocking statements that are being made about Him. But He is not unsettled and neither should we be. As we put our soul faith in God, He will deliver us through the valleys. Verse 29, And they encamped up opposite each of each other for seven days. So it was on the seventh day that the battle was joined. And the children of Israel killed 100,000 soldiers of the Syrians in one day. Listen, the enemy uses weeks and months and sometimes years to cloud you with fear, doubt, worry, and despair. Sitting on the edge of your camp waiting for you to die. But in a very short time, God destroys the works of the devil. Just look at what He did at Calvary. Jesus gave His life on the cross to pay for all of our sins. And then He rose from the dead just three days later to defeat death, hell, and the grave. In one day, God brought down 100,000 men of the overly confident Syrian army. Verse 30, But the rest fled to Aphek, into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. Listen, when we put our trust in our God and continually look to the hills instead of looking at our situations, God will take care of the enemy. We can use our strength and our time to pursue God to spread His message to the world. You see, when we get into all these political arguments and discussion, we're trying to use our strength to defeat, defeat the enemy. God's saying, trust me and follow me and spread my message and spread my love and forgive others. I'll take care of the enemy. We need to go forward and uncompromised truth and share the message that the world needs that Jesus Christ alone is our hope and is our salvation. Just as iron can only be forged in a fiery state, an iron will that has come under complete submission, obedience, and trust in God can only be forged in the fiery trials into which He calls us. Don't resist this time of forging. For it is in our own Valley Forge experiences that we come to understand that our God is God of the valleys indeed. 